Amen. Hey, welcome to Highlight Church. Good morning to all of you. I can see you, I think. Going to have some trouble on this side, but I can see this side, so just bear with me. Hey, we're in a series um, entitled Perennial Architects, and, um, and I was so excited about this series. The Lord laid it on my heart about two months ago, so um, it's a fresh concept and idea. And uh, it's all about building our lives on what's going to stand the test of time. We want to build our lives on what's going to stand the test of time. How many people know that when you die, uh, this is not the end? When you die, you either go to hell or heaven. It's kind of a great way to start with first time guests, right? (laughs) I knew it. The last church I went to (laughs) spoke hellfire. (laughs) Just want to get that out there, just straight up front, and the rest of the day is going to be good, but um, hey, um, we are so glad to see you. Let's give it up for our first-time guest, and we're excited that you're here. All right, so so Thursday, I officiated a wedding. Um, Chris Condro, Giannis, and Megan, they are one, and that was so exciting. Um, I showed up with shades on, and, um, you know, I was, I was saying the whole time that I need to just let people know that I'm not that guy. Like, I, I'm not that dude who just wants to put on a pair of shades and officiate a wedding. Um, and, and, and my worst nightmare happened. You know, any, anybody that I had never met before, they were wondering, why are you going? What's the deal with the shades? You know, I, we thought it was pretty cool, man, you know, but we didn't know what you were going for there. And I'm like, look, I'm not that dude that's trying to just do something different to do something different. You know, it's then I pulled down my, my shades. And, oh, my God, put it back on, put them back on. It's like, yeah, so you see why I did it. And so, um, you know, prior to uh, that, uh, last Monday, my uh, three-year-old, um, you know, we, so two ye- I, t- I talked about this three weeks ago how my oldest boy got me dead in the eye with his nail, the same eye, two years ago when we were playing basketball. Um, Monday, um, I was tickling Judah, you know, it's after his bath, and uh, I was like, okay, okay, we're finished, we're done playing, that's enough playing, enough playing. So I had him on like this, and I said, okay, it's time to go to bed. And we were done, I, at least I was done. And he comes with a right, just, you can't really call this a hook because this is a hook. You can call it an uppercut, but an uppercut comes under your chin. He comes with my mom. Give it up for my mom. My mom is in the building. Love my mom. My nephew's here, too. Um, That's just tough love. Um, (laughs) Andy, you're so funny. Hey, if you get a chance, go to Andy's Instagram page and check out the panda bear. (laughs) That mess is funny, bro. I let that thing like 15 times, dude, just cracking up. What did you say? What did Sushi A say to Sushi B? What's up, B? Sorry. (laughs) Anyway, sorry. So, anyway, Judah just ups and bam. And I'm like, okay, let's shake this off. Um, 
But then after about 10, 15 minutes, it became quite evident that my eye was cut again, the cornea, the, the colored part of your eye um, was cut. And so we went to the eye doctor um, Wednesday, um, the day before the wedding, and he said that it was in the shape of Florida, which is interesting because that's where I was born and raised. Um, you know, we moved up here from Florida. And so what annoyed me about this doctor was because this is my fourth, no, third time that this has happened. It happened back in high school during basketball. A friend poked it out, same eye. I knew what I wanted. Can I get a contact bandage in order to prevent the eyelid and the eyeball from rubbing the irritation? Because what it feels like, it feels like a constant piece of hair is just there. And you know how you get. And it's irritating, and it hurts, and it waters, and it's red. And so can I get it? And he, he, he does not prescribe that. He says, I'm going to give you some lubricant and, and some uh, medicinal uh, medication to um, dilate your, your, your pupils. And he said, now you're going to have to go through just allowing it to heal. Because the problem is, is that the last two times it happened, the contact does not allow it to heal correctly. And he, so he said, when Judah hit it, even though he hit it with a knuckle and not his nail, it rubbed off very easily whatever was there because it didn't heal appropriately two years from now. And so I said, Doc, how long have you been practicing ophthalmology? <laughs> he says, since 1978. I said, all right, well, let me shut up because I was born in 87. <laughs> He's been doing it for 40 years. <laughs> it's happened to me twice. I know by now what I want. So I'm like those pain patients that come and get me Dilaudid. But anyway, so, so <laughs> if you know any of those. Um, and so we left, and I am tight. I'm hot. That was Tuesday. I'm sorry. We went back in Wednesday. And I said, Doc, one of my best friends are getting married. My little cousin, they're about to get married. We've been talking about this for months. I need this contact bandage. I can't see. So he gives it to me. He says, come back Friday. I need to remove it. My whole deal was to keep it in all the way through Sunday. I'll see him Monday so I could prepare for this message. And so speed this up a little bit. Um, did the the wedding, had the contact bandage in, st still needed my shades. Um, tried to dodge him on Friday. My wife totally messed it up. So we came in on Friday right before he closed, and he removes the bandage, uh, the contact bandage. And I said, okay, doc, I preach on Sunday, and it's too short of a notice to prepare anyway for this message. He said, it's up to you, but he said, I promise this thing is going to be healed because it had went from the state of Florida to like Rehoboth Beach. Like he said, a, a little dot. It, it's a little dot. I promise you by Sunday morning, latest, it's going to be healed. No more coming back. And I'm like, I'm looking at my wife. I'm wanting her to kind of say something. She's not saying nothing. And I said, all right, doc. And so I leave, no bandage. Sure enough, when the numbness wears off, about an hour later on the way home, the pain starts to come back. I'm like, I haven't prepared for this message. So yesterday, I'm in the living room, and it's like 12 o'clock. I'm tearing up, typing, writing. Judah's running all over the place. I'm annoyed. 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock comes. I'm typing, I'm writing. And 
around 3 p.m., the pain just stops. And I'm like, wow, it subsided. It's no longer there. I'm still blurry, but it's no longer there. You guys know my stories always come to a point, right? I'm not just telling the story. Don't shut me off. This is what you need. I don't need this. I'm healed. I'm up here preaching. It's <laughs> what you need. <laughs> you do understand this. And, so, you know, the, the point is, is that Dr. Levine knew what I needed. Yet, I was challenged in my trust about what he was already an expert in. Even though I had been hurt the same way before, and I thought the way that I usually heal myself was proper and ad adequate, he chose a more durable, long-term solution that he knew was going to work, even though it was going to cause me a little bit more pain. But it was the right way. And so we have Jesus here in Matthew 6 dealing with a crowd, thousands of followers. And he, he goes into this dissertation. This is the Sermon on the Mount. It starts in Matthew 5. This is his most famous sermon ever. So thousands of people, and the Bible says that he sat down. So rabbis in Jesus' time sat down. They didn't teach like us. And so he's teaching about worry. And he says, you know, why worry about the clothes on your back and the food that you eat and the shelter? He says, don't you see the birds? Don't you see the lilies of the field? He said, they don't worry about any of that stuff. He says, don't you remember Solomon? In the Old Testament, King David had a son. His name was Solomon. The Bible calls him the richest man to ever live. They tell you how rich he was. Solomon invested $120 billion into building the temple of God, a building for God, $120 billion. You can buy a few islands with that money today. And he says, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like these birds and like the lilies of the field. He said, your God, your Father, cares about you the same way. And so... We want to build our lives on things that are going to stand the test of time. And he says that, don't you understand that your father knows what you need? And I want to give you a life verse today. If you would take this verse, if you would believe it with all of your heart, if you would walk it out for the rest of your life, you're never going to have to worry about your provision. You're never going to have to worry about a thing in your life. Matthew 6.33, and it says this. It says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Some of you are not writing, and you're not taking notes. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. So... He addresses there, he says, you, so you guys read from this way, I'm on the stage. 
he says that if you go back and read the context, the entire chapter of Matthew 6, I'm just covering a lot. I'm covering 32 verses up until this point. He says, the Lord knows what you need. Let's skip over a few. And he says, he will give you everything you need. Between what you need and receiving everything you need, and between there is our responsibility. And this is what I want to talk about today, is that in-between portion. Today I want to bring a message entitled, The Priority. Last week we talked about his word. Did that bless you last week, his word? Praise God. That blessed you last week, his word. So seek the kingdom of God above all else. I want to pull out a few points. Today is a a lot of scripture, so I'm going to try to get out of the way and let the Bible teach itself. I want to encourage you with this. When God is first, life is better. When God is first, life is better. How many early birds in here? Early risers, you like rising early. How many uh, like to stay in the bed a little bit longer? It's okay. Don't be ashamed. Ooh, you're not ashamed at all. As a matter of fact, you dominate the crowd. I just want to tell you, early risers rule the world. Um, <laughs> you know, when my day gets off to a late start, um, I'm just all off, man. Um, so uh, Mondays, I wake up um, about 6.30, 7 o'clock. We get Nemo out for, uh, you know, do his, his thing, do what he has to do get the boys dressed, get their clothes on and all that good stuff. And from 6.30 till about 8.45, I'm putting in work. I'm putting in work because I want, because from 9 to 12.30, I have this, this space of time where I can do what I want to do, the things that I actually need to do with my life. So I put in the work, I get them ready, and I get them out the door, and I can really start devoting my time to my passion. It, it, it's prioritizing the morning, understanding that if I slack on getting these boys out the door, and if I'm not ready to go, I can't take advantage of the three hours that I have when Judah gets home. Um, There's another thing that we do every Monday night is date night for Kyra and I. If you are married, you need to protect and guard your date night. Protect and guard it. If you are not when you get married, protect and guard your date night. You, You should have a date night per week. You should have a getaway per quarter, overnight getaway. So two night, one night getaway per quarter, and a vacation per year when and if you can afford it. So that's just a little something for our relationship series coming soon. Monday night, date nights. Tomorrow's our four-year wedding anniversary, praise God. So Monday nights, we go to our favorite restaurant, order the same food. I started kind of hating you a little bit. I love you, but there's a little hate there because she's not eating cheese anymore, so I can't get my nacho cheese dip. And, and so I'm like, can we bring a third wheel to date night? But we can't. It's date night. I'm sorry. I'm very loopy. I'm on medication. So I don't know where I'm at in this message. So just follow me here. And we talk about the first question we'll ask each other. So how can I serve you better? Where are some areas in my life, in the way that I am in our marriage? How can I serve you better? Well, you did this the other day. That hurt me. Well, you did this. That hurt me. Okay. I apologize sincerely. We do it to each other. I'll do better. 
we do better. We talk about finances. Where are we at in our goals? Our year goal, our three-year goal, our five, our 10-year goal next month. Where are we at in our credit and our debt? Where are we at? Where are we at? Where are we at in disciplining, disciplining our kids? Well, you know, Jay did this the other day. I think we ought to go about it. So what we're doing on date night is we are, we are agreeing about the future. How about intimacy? Well, been a while. I'm, you know, I'm, it, been a, okay. Well, let's step it on up. Come on, Marcus. Let's step it on up. We get very honest about everything. What are we doing? We're setting the priority straight. Because 50% of the people that are going to get married this year will not be married in five years. Second marriages, 68% of second marriages will end up in divorce. Third marriages, 78 to 80% of third marriages end up in divorce. Not the will of God. Not the blessing of God. So what we have to do is we have to prioritize home base first because from home spreads everything else. If Kyron I's marriage is healthy, the church is healthy. If we can be honest with one another about where we are, we can continue to be honest about the health of the church and the health of the people that we're shepherding. So we're getting the priority in order. I love that it's on Mondays, too, because Monday is Sunday is the top of the week. But Monday is the top of the week, and it sets the tone for me and our marriage for the rest of the week. When God is first, life is better. When you filter your life through what the word of God says, life is better. Let me tell you where we are as a church. We are in vision mode. For the next six, uh, six, seven weeks, we're in vision mode. We're going to extend our reach out as a church next year. When we moved here with nine people, we didn't move here to reach 100. We moved here to reach thousands. So we're going to start talking about things like the tithe and offering. We're going to start talking about how when you said you're going to become a superhero, you said that you would serve at least twice a month. You said that you would be here. Whenever that time Bobby tells you to be here, 8 o'clock, 8.30, there are churches out there that are killing it, that are changing lives. There are people arrive at 5.30 just to pray over chairs. We're in vision mode. And so we're going to talk about finances and how the tithe is what you call it, the tenth. I don't know. I'm, like I said, I'm kind of loopy right now, so I don't know what's on that. But the tithe is, is what you call the tenth. And so there's a time that you were praying for a job. Who are you praying to? Who opened that door? And so in the Old Testament, they would take it to a designated place of worship, which in the Old Testament represents today in the New Testament time, post-Christ, the local church. A designated place. The tithe is tenth. The tithe is off the top. It's the first. And he says, bring that to my storehouse so that there would be food in my house. So when you bring your tithe, there's spiritual food for people to receive when they get here. 
And the reason a lot of you are blessed in the seats that you sit in, the reason a lot of us have a church home today was because of the tithe that people gave, the nine that gave that before they moved here, the thousands they invested for you to sit in those seats. And now what you give today will be a, 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 a resource that the Lord uses to continue to change lives, to heal marriages, and to reach children. I'm not getting any claps today just because this is good. As God continues to move things forward, God used a church of 60 people last year to throw the first ever Easter egg drop in Montgomery County. 700 people showed up, and that was because of your faithful giving. So people want their finances to be in order. The priority needs to first be the house of God. I'm going to just tell you this. I'm going to say it next month, too. God doesn't need your money. The church doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. Because in, in Matthew 6, Jesus said around verse 25, he said, wherever your treasure is, there's your heart. And, he, and then he went on to say that man cannot serve God and money. So I'm going to just let you know, on December 18th, we're doing a over and above giving offering. Where if you've never given before, that will be your first chance to give to this house. If you're not on recurring giving, you get paid every two weeks. If you're not on recurring giving, December 18th, before you go and buy anything, buy Jesus something on December 18th. Be your first chance to get on recurring giving. Kyra and I will be the first to give our above and beyond. We give at 12% because 10% is a principle. Anything over 10% is considered an offering. So if you get $1,000 every two weeks, 100 is your tithe. Anything over that is saying, Lord, I love you, and this is just more because of what you've done. And then from there, you save 10%. We're going to do this in our financial series. I'll get back to that. You save 10%, and you live on 80. You budget 80. And if you budget 80 over time, pay down your debts, work on your credit, you're going to see margin in three, five years that you never thought you could see, but it starts with putting God first. Is that okay? Okay. Life is better when God is first. I come against this lie, too, that the church wants your money. The pastor wants your money. Let me just tell you something personal real quick. My wife works for everything that we receive. My wife pays 90% of our bills. This pastor doesn't want your money. I got two kids. Don't want your money. We want you to put God first so that your life would be better. We want to change more lives so that your life would be better. We want you to be less selfish so that your life would be better. They've done studies that says that the more selfish you are, there's more of a likelihood for you to get diabetes, heart disease, and your mortality rate raises up 35% selfish people. The less selfish you are, the more healthier you are as an individual. Don't want your money. We want you to put God first.
When God is first and his word is what I filter my actions through, this is the result. Deuteronomy 28 says this. It says, if you listen obediently to the voice of God, your God, and heartily obey. That's a hard word for the millennial generation. The word obey means follow by faith. Okay? When you trust him, all, all of what he says, because commandment, the word is hard too. So I'm going to translate a lot of this into our modern dialect because we back up from a lot of words. It's like, so when you obey all of what he says, God, your God, will place you on high above all the nations of the world. All these blessings will come down on you and spread out beyond you because you have responded to the voice of God, your God. God's blessing inside the city. God's blessing in the country. God's blessing on your children, the crops of your land, the young of your livestock, the calves. This is all your finances. This is all your finances. He's talking to a, a cattle and herd um, generation. So he's talking in, in their dialect. But this is all your finances, the lambs of your flock. God's blessing on your basket and your bread bowl. God's blessing in your coming in. God's blessing in your going out. It says this. Go ahead, Lance. It says this. God will defeat your enemies who attack you. They'll come at you on one road and run away seven roads. God will order a blessing on your barns and your workplaces. You're going to find favor with your bosses and your supervisors. God wants to open up doors of opportunity. He wants to promote you. We are in vision season as a church because it's about those that are hurting and that don't know Jesus. And he says this, God, he'll bless you in the land that God, your God, is giving you. God will form you as a people holy unto him. It means to be set apart for God. And it says here, just as he promised you, if you keep what God says, your God, and live the way he has shown you, all the peoples on earth will see you living under the name of Jesus and hold you in respectful awe. And then he goes on to say this. Go ahead, Lance. God will lavish you with good things, children from your womb, offspring from your animals, and crops from your land, the land that God promised your ancestors. There are some promises that God promised your grandmothers, your great-grandmothers, your great-grandfathers that the devil's holding up and you, that you don't know nothing of, but you're the generation that's going to get everything that God has for you. And he goes on to say this, um, your ancestors that you give you. God will throw open the doors of his sky vaults. Hold on, time out. God got vaults. We ain't talking about. We ain't talking about. We ain't talking about the World Bank. God got vaults. And pour out rain on your land on schedule and bless the work you take in hand. You will lend. You know, it is a curse to be in debt. It is not God's will for you to be in debt. I know I'm preaching, sister. Because as the kingdom of God, we are supposed to be the lenders. When your family needs something, they should be able to come to you. Okay? And we, we're trying to get there, babe. I get it. You will lend to many nations, but you yourself won't have to take out a loan. Let's keep going here, Lance. God will make you the head and not the tail. You'll always be the top dog. 
never the bottom dog. As you obediently listen to and diligently keep the commands of God, your God, that I am commanding you today, don't swerve. When God is first, life is better. It's okay to be on Instagram and to be on Facebook and to see your friends out there tripping out. You know what? They go be the tail and they will not be the head if they keep on tripping out. You're not missing out on anything. You're not missing out on anything. You're missing out on a lot. That's all you're missing out on. And he goes on and he says, says this here, that I am commanding you today, don't swerve an inch to the right or left from the words that I command you today by going off and following and worshiping other gods. We don't have other gods in the sense that we fall to our knees and worship things. What he's talking about are idols. Idols are things that take the place of God in our hearts. And he says, when you get the priority in order, the blessings flow, okay? And so I want to say this point number two here. When the kingdom is first, life is greater. When the kingdom is first, life is greater. Let me uh, give you context to the word greater. I mean, your influence and your capacity to lead others will open up even the more. When the kingdom of Jesus is first in your life. Great empires have existed over the course of history. Assyria, Persia, Rome, Great Britain, even America today. It's funny because they say that all of these empires go through life cycles. Okay, Lean in right now. Got about 15 more minutes. Y'all okay out there? All of these great kingdoms have gone through... Uh, life cycles. The first is the age of outburst and pioneering. So this is when someone gets this idea and they go and they adventure to find a new land that's always existed. And uh, they just start something new. And then when they find that land, um, pioneering, it goes to conquest. So these, these um, umpires have conquered, they found the land and they start killing people and they take over the land. From conquest, you go into a period, all empires of commerce, where we're no longer taking land, but we're building up walls because we need to start businesses and we need to start an actual society. When you go from commerce, you go from commerce to uh, affluence. Okay, so now there are some businesses, some establishments, some, some neighborhoods, we're all good. When you go from everyone's good, we got the poor, the middle class, the rich, okay, this is just where people are. You go to the age of intellect. Does this sound like America yet? Go to the age of intellect where we start to get away from what originally founded concepts and truths and doctrines that originally founded an umpire. So there were some umpires that were founded on Islamic principles and the Quran. There, there are some societies that were found on the Bible, such as America, mixed with um, some, some Greek philosophies and all of that. But as an as a empire grows and gets older, you, you have intellects that divert from the original belief of the founding fathers. And we start to get away from how a society was established. From the age of intellect, we fall into the age of decadence. Decadence is where everyone is just kind of chill. And, and where, where everyone is 
on their, on their phones and on their tablets. Where everyone is, as long as my family is eating, we're okay. As long as my business is growing, I'm okay. As long as my marriage is making it, we're okay. We don't need to go to church. We worship God when we choose to worship God. We go when we choose to go. The age of decadence. Does that sound like America? Yet. In the seventh stage of any empire, that seventh one is decline and fall. And the average lifespan of, of empires is 240 years. America just turned 241 years old. The oldest empire since 6,000 BC up until present day has been 258. So at max, we have about 17 years to put Jesus back as the priority in our country. There is a kingdom, though. <laughs> There's a kingdom that has existed before time and will continue to exist after all of this is gone. Yet was injected into society about 2,000 years ago. And it still exists today. That's what Jesus called the kingdom of God. I want to give you a few things about the kingdom of God. 2,000 years strong. 2,000 plus. The kingdom of God, number one, is not of this world. It is a spiritual kingdom. It, 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 it's, it's first unseen, and it's within the hearts of the believers of Jesus, and it's lived out in the world. It's not celebrated, so don't get this kingdom wrong. It doesn't find its value in buildings or locations. This is why we can gather as the body of Christ, because the kingdom of God is in each believer's heart. This is why we can gather anywhere and have church. Because the people of God are the kingdom of God. So it's not of this world. It's for those who have given their hearts to Christ. And this is what Jesus said in John 18, 36. He said, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight. This is when they were arresting him. They were about to take him to the cross to kill him. And they were wondering, man, where are your followers? There should be a revolt. People should be fighting. They should be killing the, the government officials. And he says this, if it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. We operate according to different value system. Faith. Love for God. Love thy neighbor as you love thyself. Jesus said in, in John 13, 34, and 35, a new commandment I give unto you. Love each other as I have loved you. Sacrifice yourself for the lives of others. Give away your life, because anyone that shall find their life shall lose their life, but anyone that will give their life for my sake will find their life forever. We live according to a different kingdom. The reason why kingdoms last on average for 240 years, because they were all founded upon self-interest. The reason why the kingdom of God has lasted for over 2,000 years is because it's been built and founded upon saints of old 
who have always given their lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ and for the salvation of others who didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus. But when people saw that there were actually people out there who love Christ, who love them, who won't give up on them, they can't deny that this Jesus, this love, this forgiveness, this mercy is so good and it's so real and I want in on it and I want to build it and I want to put it first and I want influence and I want significance and in order to get that, I got to build the kingdom of God. Not my kingdom, his kingdom. Because Paul talks about in Corinthians, I was reading Paul on the way to church and, and he was um, in the book of Acts he was visiting Thessalonica. Man, I'm, I'm reading Paul through each chapter in Acts. And he, it's funny because the author Luke said he put us on a ship to meet him in another city, but he went by foot. Because Paul was a murderer of Christians and Jesus called him and he said, there are many things you're going to suffer. But I'm with you the whole time. So Paul is going by foot through all of these cities. He gets to Thessalonica. He says, you know, you know the suffering we endure to get you the gospel. You know the suffering we endure to get you the good news. You know that we had pure motives when we did it. And, and he says, now I got to go to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit is telling me that jail and suffering awaits. I love this. I think it's at 16 or something, 19. He says, but let me tell you one thing. My life matters nothing to me. Only that Jesus Christ is preached. Nothing. Paul died under, under the emperor Nero. Nero was the most evil king to ever live. You think Hitler was evil? Nero used to feed Christians to the lions, set them on fire for sport and for play. Paul had his head decapitated because he proclaimed the name of Jesus Christ. You know what ended up happening to Nero after he assassinated and killed Paul? He ended up committing suicide. A Roman emperor. Why? Because worldly kingdoms don't last. And this is what Paul said in his last letter to the Philippian church. He said, my time is up. And he said, you know what? I want to stay because it's better for you. But I can't wait to see the king. Paul's last day on earth was his first day in heaven. Whose kingdom are you building on this earth? We're in vision season. Vision season. It's not of this world. It's the answer to a hurting world. The kingdom of Jesus is the answer to a hurting world. John 10.10, 10, Jesus said this, the thief's purpose, it's nicknamed for Satan, is to still kill and destroy my purpose our purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life 
The kingdom of Jesus is available to all. All. It's inclusive, baby. Doesn't matter your background or what you believe. Jesus died for the entire world. It says this here. For this is how God loved the world. It's available to all. He gave his son, his only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Everyone who believes in him. And the kingdom of God, this unseen kingdom, I alluded to this earlier, exists within the church. Let's go here. He says, now I say to you that you are Peter. This is before he was about to be taken up into heaven, to, to die and go to heaven. And upon this rock, I will build my church. So I say to you, Peter, which means rock, and upon you, I will build my kingdom. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Hell has no power over your life when you are a believer of Jesus Christ. And he says this. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. You have the keys. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. But that's when you prioritize the kingdom. Why am I getting this job? Oh, yes, I got a job to get a check. No, you actually got that job to show your coworkers Christ. Why am I praying to be healed? Not to be better, but so that you would be a testimony unto those that are struggling mentally, emotionally, and physically. It exists within you. It exists within you. And so um, Chris and Megan, it's funny. I said they got married Thursday, right? Why are they here? Isn't it pretty standard that you head to your honeymoon? Pretty standard that next day. I was in a counseling session with them um, a few months back. It was one of our first ones, and Chris just came right on out. He said, look, we're here that Sunday after we get married. We're leaving as soon as service ends, and we're going to be back that next Sunday to serve God. Because they found the key to a greater life. It's selfless devotion to building the kingdom of God. Understanding that you are, I am, we're not entitled to a thing but forgiveness and grace. Everything else is an add-on. But the kingdom of God for 2,000 years has been built on examples like that. We got married, but we're not entitled to a honeymoon. A honeymoon is a gift from God. What we are entitled to is coming to church every Sunday, 6 a.m. to 2 p.m., busting our tails so that people would know Jesus Christ. I'm, 
brothers and sisters, that is the mark of true Christianity. It's not about what I can consume on a Sunday from a church, but it's always about what I can give back to the one who's given me everything. Let's praise God for that. And so the way that we walk this out here and highlight is involvement. Today is Super Steps 2. If you've never entered Super Steps or if you're not a superhero, um, this is a chance for you to discover your gifts and figure out what God has placed on the inside of you to serve his kingdom. Um, Investment, investing. I believe that the greatest investing is investing into souls. And I want to thank you all for every dime that you've ever given. We're going to do a series in December entitled The Genius of Generosity. Three weeks we're going to teach on giving. Um, But you can start today. If you've never given today, understand that your giving goes directly to a changed life. We're adopting families this Christmas. Um, I can't wait. Hopefully we can adopt more than two, three, four, five. But we're going to make someone's Christmas happen this year. And prayerfully, we can also share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. Um, Your investment. I want to even challenge you. Like I said earlier, guess what? When you're not here, your giving's not here. We have a reoccurring set up online where even if you're not here, your giving comes to the church. So we can continue to operate and do what God has called us to do in this city. Look, you're dealing with a church that has big vision. We want to have a highlight location in D.C., One day, we want to have it up in Frederick one day. We want to be down in Virginia, Pennsylvania, New Jersey. This could take 10, 20 years. But if you you would come to the point 10 years from now, if you're still here, where you know, hey, I, I was planting seed in the ground for over a decade. And now look at all that God has done, these thousands of people. It starts today with your faithfulness. It starts today with your recurring sacrifice and trust in God. And he says, then I will open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you cannot contain. So investing in the third eye is invitation. This is holiday season. They say that this is the season where people, if they will never try church, they'll try it now. So if you have friends or family members that you're praying for, this is the season to get bold at work, at the coffee shop, at the library, at the bar. Wherever you are, start inviting your friends, especially if you know that they need grace and if they need life change. My final little deal here, prioritizing the work of God releases the supernatural provision of God in your life. Be true Christians, not Sunday Christians. God wants to meet your need. Let's give God a praise. God wants to meet your need. Let's bow our heads, church. Let's pray. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, may not have been the ideal message, but this can be your morning. I'm going to pray a prayer. And you can pray it right there in your seat within your heart. If that be your prayer, you lift your hand afterwards. We're going to invite you into the kingdom of God. 
want to make Jesus Lord of your life, I'm going to pray a prayer. If you agree by faith in your heart, you can receive grace, forgiveness, salvation today. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for being a faithful and a good God. Thank you, Lord, that you came from heaven and that you lived a perfect life that I could not live. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for my sin. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving my sin. I give you my heart this morning. You are the Son of God. You are the Savior of the world. And I can't wait to see you again. Jesus, give me purpose. Give me power. Give me a passion for your kingdom and a passion for those that need to know you. I make you my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. With all heads bowed, if that be your prayer this morning, raise your hand. We want to pray with you. If that be your prayer this morning. Praise God. Lord, thank you for the seeds that you've planted. We love you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Love you, church.